welcome to the Peace Church Life Change Podcast. Peace Church exists to glorify God and make disciples by helping everyday people experience life change through Christ-centered relationships. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast as we celebrate life change through the ministries of Peace Church. Welcome back to the Peace Church Life Change Podcast. I'm Brad Perry, your host, the mobilization pastor here. Again, just want to thank you for listening and encourage you. If you've not yet subscribed to our podcast, you can do that on uh, whatever platform you choose to listen to your podcast. Uh, This day, we are here with Josh Miller. Uh, We've known Josh for about three or four years now, been partnering with him. He is the lead church planner at Center Church in Charlottesville, Virginia. So Josh, man, thank you for coming on to the podcast today. Brad, thanks for having me, man. Man, we're excited. So if you would, just to, um, I know we've brought you on our stage before and, and we've shared some of your videos um, from the things that you've celebrated there at Center Church with our church, but just uh, for those that may not know you, tell us a little bit about your family, and then also some of your ministry experience that led you to become a church planner. Yeah, so my wife Meredith and I have been married nine years, so we just celebrated our ninth anniversary last week, actually. We have three kids, so a son, James, who's six, a daughter, Annie, who's about to turn five, and then a daughter, Abigail, who's three. So we, uh, we are definitely in that young family stage, so lots of energy, uh, lots of running around. Um, before moving to Charlottesville, I served on pastoral staff at the Summit Church in the Raleigh-Durham area of North Carolina. And while I was there, I worked um, basically building out the internship programs and helping men and women who feel called to to ministry in the church be equipped um, to do that. And then um, took part in the Summit's church planning residency. And that's, you know, before that is how you and I got connected, Brad. Right. uh, Had a chance to learn and and to build a team of people from the Summit to move with us to Charlottesville, Virginia, to plant Center Church. And all told, we had 51 people who did that, which was amazing. So 39 adults, 12 kids. And uh, yeah, that moved up to Charlottesville to, to plant the gospel. Charlottesville, you know, you've probably never heard of it. Uh, it is home to the University of Virginia. So the last national champion in men's basketball. Because, yeah. you know, there, there was none last year. So uh, home to the University of Virginia. But it's definitely grown to be beyond a college town. Um, it's got its own, you know, sort of economy and, and whatnot. So the whole, the city itself has got about 55,000 people. The area has got about 225,000 people. Wow. Um, and, you know, if, if the stats are true, then more than 90% of the people in our area are lost, have no relationship with Christ, and about 95% of the students at UVA. So that was a huge burden uh, on our hearts. Uh, my wife and I are both from Virginia, and so we, and we got really kind of just tugged on our hearts about coming back and, and being a part of seeing the gospel get planted uh, here in Charlottesville and hopefully uh, to make an impact beyond here around the world. So that's, that's yeah. me. Man, that's awesome. Yeah, so share with us a little bit about Center Church. I know obviously being there, you're, where you guys meet is right across campus of UVA. So I know UVA is a, uh, you know, one of your target groups that you're trying to reach with those students. But just tell us a little bit about Center Church, uh, yeah. why Charlottesville, Virginia, mm-hmm. and then also even the name Center Church. Like you guys were very purposeful even with yeah. that name. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about that too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll start with Charlottesville. Um, there are really three big things that made us land on Charlottesville. One was I'm just really convinced that reaching and discipling college students is one of the keys to seeing spiritual renewal in, in the 21st century. 
So if you go back and, and study revivals in church history, what you'll find is that most of them started on or near a university campus. So the Reformation started at the University of Wittenberg. Uh, the First Great Awakening started at Oxford. The um, student missions mobilization movement in the United States started at Williams College. So, man, I, I just look at the University of Virginia and I think, man, there, you know, there's about 20,000 super sharp young people there. And if even 1%, right, if, if, we, if 200 students, you know, got super passionate about the gospel and were sent out from UVA with their, you know, undergrads and masters and PhDs, they go and they do these amazing things. Man, what would, it, what, what would happen if they took the gospel with them to Wall Street and to Capitol Hill and to that company in Dubai that they're working for? Man, I think the gospel would penetrate places it hasn't before. So been really passionate about reaching college students and helping them get a vision for their life that's, that's greater than this world. Second thing um, was there's just a lot of need here. Uh, so Charlottesville is a very progressive town. You know, it's like a lot of college towns are, but UVA in particular is very progressive, prides itself on that. So there's just a very large population of people, uh, percentage-wise, in our community that are, are, you know, admittedly no relationship with Christ whatsoever. So that really burdened us. Um, and then third, practically, my wife and I are both from Virginia. We love Virginia and Charlottesville felt like a place that we could put down roots and, and be, you know, for a long time. So that's how it kind of got on our radar, how we, how we landed on it. Um, you know, we've been here for just over two years now. And when we moved up our, our heartbeat and it's still our mission is that man, we're just really passionate about seeing people's lives changed by the gospel. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, it's very similar to peace churches mission. I think it's, I think it's the mission of, of any church, of any Christian. And it's been, um, it's been incredible to see God do that, but do it in ways maybe that I didn't expect. So, uh, man, the way that God's been working in people's lives, bringing them to faith, we've, we've seen probably a dozen to 15 people um, come to faith in Christ and, and get connected to what we're doing since we've been here over the last two years. In terms of kind of ministry numbers, we've baptized 20 people in the last two years, and actually, hopefully, we'll be baptizing three more in a couple of weeks, which is exciting trying to figure out how to do socially distanced baptism. That's a, yeah. You know, that. that's one of the things I was thinking of because, you know, we haven't done a baptism since March and it was like, man, I really want to do one. But I was like, are we allowed to get in the water with anybody right now? I don't, I don't know if that's like, I don't know. I'll let you know if we figure it out. Yeah. Uh, things are a little different state to state, I guess too. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so that's our mission. And just to kind of give you a sense of kind of where we are as a church before the coronavirus, you know, shut everything down. Uh, we averaged just over 200 people on a Sunday. Um, so we were really encouraged by that, about 170 adults, about 30 kids, something like that, you know, give or take. Um, you know, and it's not all college students, so sometimes that's what people think, but probably of those 170 adults, maybe 30 to 40 are college students. So definitely, a, you know, a strong amount. Um, it's, a, it's a big part of what, of what we do, but it's not, you know, we're not trying to be the Lord of the Flies or something. Yeah. Um, if it's all, if it's all uh, college students, then your church budget's like zero, you know. So. Basically Bojangles Biscuits, <laughs> that's, that's right. what it becomes. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, we, we really, really push, um, group involvement. So we organize around what we call missional communities that are just a fancy way of saying a group of people that makes disciples together. Um, and so, you know, we've got eight or nine of those, uh, we just actually in the last month we went over the hundred member mark. So that's wow. pretty cool. So, um, man, I've seen God bless that. Uh, so yeah, I, mean, I, I could tell you a lot of things, but basically we, we have, we celebrated our one year anniversary last January. Um, and so we are a young church, very young church, mm -hmm. but we've seen God do some really encouraging things and, and we're hopeful for the future. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't know what that's going to hold. I'm not sure. We were meeting in a school 
that, like you said, Brad, faced the UVA baseball stadium, which is pretty neat. But I'm not sure if, if that's going to be available anymore. So, you know, if, if you're looking for a prayer request, just prayer for wisdom and provision um, that God would lead us to a space where we could meet and, and call our own. Yeah. Um, so, right, so right now, are you guys just currently completely online? So our, our church is organized in three, in three ways. So we have what are called our D groups, which are groups of three to five, and they're gender specific. Mm-hmm. You know, not exactly an accountability group, but close. So those have, those have started meeting again because they can all space out. You know, I did mine like in a guy's garage last, you know, this week. Yeah. Then we have Bible studies, which are anywhere from 15 to 20 people. We're trying to get those back in person, but we're trying to figure out, you know, you got to have the space to be able to do it. Right. And then right now our, our Sunday service is all online. Um, so we recorded, I'm actually recording it tonight. Usually we record Friday nights and then we stream that um, Sunday morning. So our, our hope, we don't have a definitive plan yet on when we're going to get back, but we're kind of going step by step. So our next big goal is to find a way to get back, get our Bible studies back together and then kind of go from there. Cool, man. Yeah. So it kind of leads me to my next question I have for you is just how have you been staying connected uh, during the quarantine time here? Yeah, it's challenging, right? Because the, the Sunday morning gathering is such a good thing. And one of the things that I think we're all realizing through this is there's a lot of good building up that happens just simply by being around each other, right? Like just intuitively. Um, and so we've felt that and, and that's been hard. The biggest things we've done, we, we lean real heavily on our group structure. So thankfully, you know, we're still not, we're not a super big church. And so every single one of our members is in a D group. So to become a member here, you have to be in a D group. It's, you know, basically we, we just say like, Hey, if we're going to care for you well, we have to know you. And so, that's been a big help because everybody is still very connected with their D group. Um, we have really ramped up our communication as a staff team. So I send a video at least once a week, sometimes more. I'm so tired of listening to myself talk, Brad. It's just ridiculous. I, um, I totally agree. I'm definitely, I'm sick of Zoom. Like Zoom has been great, but I'm sick of Zoom, sick of staring at a screen for sure. Yeah. So we're trying to communicate a lot. Um, so we're doing that. And then yeah, just, just trying to find creative ways to stay encouraged. So we've hosted a couple prayer prayer nights, and that's been helpful and, and those kind of things. So that's some of what we've done. That, that, that's cool, man. I actually just came from a D-group meeting, had, had my first in-person D-group meeting in three months uh, right before so we, we started. It, 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 it was great. So great. Man, it was awesome. Uh, it was good to see those guys. For you personally, what, what are maybe three – big lessons you've been taught that God's taught you through COVID-19? Oh, man. Um, All right. I'll start more generally then get more specific. Generally speaking, the importance of groups in the life of the church. Um, So everybody talks about that. No one would say groups aren't important. But when you can't gather on Sunday, all of a sudden you realize, no, this really is the place where, this is the stickiest place we have relationally. And so the first thing I've learned is that, is that groups really matter. Um, now I'll come back. The second thing I've learned is that the gathering really matters. I mean, can we just admit that online church yeah. is not the real thing? Okay, like maybe I made a bunch of people mad, but so be it. Like I just, it's just not, okay? Like I'm grateful for technology. It's better than nothing, but it is not church. Like. And I, I think I've always just loved church and maybe it's just because I'm an extrovert and I like, you know, I like to sing and worship, but I think we're all realizing like, it's just not a personality thing. There's a, there's a power, there's a power when you get together and where you sing together and you sit under the preached word and you pray together. And, and honestly, you just do little things together. Like you set up the tents together, you know, and you take, you know, you disciple kids and you eat bagels and you, you know, tell jokes and 
So I think I've realized, number one, groups, groups really, really matter. I think, number two, I've realized more and more that, like, man, the gathering is so important. Um, you know, I think in the past I've thought the gathering is really important for discipleship and evangelism, and I think it is. But more and more I'm realizing that the gathering is really important for unity, for church unity. I sort of think of it like, you know, in First Peter it, it says that the church is, you know, that we're all living stones built into the, into the temple, right? And I think of the gathering as like the mortar that holds those stones together. You know, you see one another, you remember your love for one another, it stirs you up. It's a lot easier to give one another the benefit of the doubt when you see something from different perspectives, when you're looking a person in the face, you know, you're drinking a cup of coffee with them. So I'd say that's the second thing, that, that the gathering really matters. And then I think thirdly, as a pastor, I mean, I'm a young pastor, and so I feel like I'm stumbling through a lot of this, but I just feel like the importance of humility and, you know, recognizing that, like, you're not going to make every right decision. You're going to try really hard. You're going to make a decision. And maybe because you don't have all the information you need, maybe because you make the best decision, but then things change. Like you're just not always going to make the right decisions. And, and when you make bad decisions, you know, people are impacted by that. That's hard. And I think just for me personally, but for the whole church, just like humility generally, I think humility carries us so far in really hard times. And just being able to like assume the best about one another and humbly say like, hey, even if he or she offended me or shared something on Facebook that really, you know, was really irritating, like, man, I'm going to, I'm going to assume the best about that. And I'm going to, man, I'm going to believe the best about them. And so I'd say that's the third thing. So groups matter, the gathering matters, and just the centrality of humility in, in the life of the church. Absolutely, man. That, that's good stuff. Yeah, you spent a lot of your life has been around church planting. So you were in a church that had a big vision of planting churches all over. You helped train church planters. You're a church planter yourself. So I wonder if from this, do you think there's any new trends or new practices that you think are going to come out in church planting, come out of COVID-19, whether it's, you know, re revamping or really making sure you got a strong online presence or, you know, whatever it may be, are there any, any kind of trends you see coming out of this for church planters in the future? Yeah. yeah. Oh goodness. Um, here's some thoughts, Brad. I am neither a prophet nor a son of a prophet. Okay. Uh, so I would say number one, I think that, I think that churches are going to realize that you, you can't just be the gathering, right? If, if your whole model revolves around the Sunday gathering, it, it's just, I think we're just being made aware that like it can be gone really fast. And I don't know, you know, I don't know what people are going to be like when they come back. You know, you've got doomsday people and you've got, you know, people that think it'll be completely the same. I don't know. But I think it's possible that, that people will be less, I don't know, willing to gather in larger groups. You know, I, I think that could be the case. So just like really, really pressing discipleship down to the grassroots level. And I think you do that through the gathering. But if your discipleship strategy revolves around what you can deliver on Sunday mornings, I think that it's vulnerable to a worldwide pandemic, you know, and all of a sudden you, you can't gather together. So I think that, I think I'm hopeful that, you know, church planners all love the gathering, right? That's like our deal. It's like, mm -hmm. we, we love worshiping. We love preaching. We love casting vision. Like that's our deal. And, and it's important, but I think we're all realizing, you know, it, it can't be the only thing. Um, I, I'll say something that might be a little bit, maybe I'm just poking the bear here. I, I know the common thread is like, everybody's like, the future's online, like the whole thing. I don't think that's true. And, and here's why, I've got some data on that. Here's why. Everybody went online and everybody saw an initial spike of engagement, right? 
and now what's happened? Everybody has seen a plummet of engagement. It's just novelty, right? It's just like, it's like if you, you know, if you bring in an elephant to preach, like you're going to have a spike of interest, but that doesn't mean you're having a spike of kingdom impact. So it's not that I'm a curmudgeon. I mean, we, you know, we do the online thing. We try to do it well. I think it's important that you, you know, you, you recognize that, right? Every person in your church has one of these, which means that they have more technology in their hand than, you know, the church has ever, you know, it's just, so you have to be aware of technology. You can't not do it. But I don't think the future is online church. I just don't. I, I just, I believe too much in both the theological truthfulness of church as a family and also the practical truthfulness. Because here's the thing, if you're doing church online and you're walking through the coronavirus or racial injustice or, you know, all this stuff, what are you going to work all that out on your own? You know, like in your house? Like, no, like you're going to be isolated and lonely and you need the church. You need the family of God. And, and it's just... Online church is, is, is fine. It's helpful for vulnerable populations in particular, for people that maybe are a little nervous coming into a church building. I can see how that could be a helpful bridge for them. But I don't, I'm not on the bandwagon that says, yeah, the future is online. I just, I just think we have to define what the purpose of the church is. And if the purpose of the church is to see lives changed by the gospel, life change doesn't happen sheerly through computers, right? I mean, we all know that practically. Computers can be helpful, but it, it happens in relationships. And that's a conviction. That's just a deep-seated conviction I have from the scriptures. That's why Paul talks almost exclusively in plural verbs in the New Testament, because he just has a, he has a family vision of the church that is often lost on, on Americans. Sorry, I'm getting kind of fired up here, Brad. You're, yeah, you're, that's good. <laughs> so I, I do think, I mean, I think online matters and, and we do a lot of, you know, we, we try to be thoughtful about that stuff, but yeah. I don't think the future of church planning is online services. You know, I, I think that there will always be a rootedness and a relational aspect to seeing lives change. So do I think I do, that- I totally agree with that. So I think, I think one is maybe even just a more intentional effort of relationships. I think so much does go into that we're going to grand open launch on this date and build up that, build up to that, build up to that. Maybe it's less of that and more of build up to relationships. And because here's my thing too. Like if I believe in, in the product that we put out, like our pastor's a great preacher. He's really good. But if that's what they're getting, I mean, why are they going to pick, or if I'm preaching, why are they going to listen to me when they could just go watch a video of JD Greer or, or Matt Chandler or, you know, whoever that, that is, you know? Another thing was like, maybe you felt this like I did, but it just felt weird to be singing to a computer screen. <laughs> like, you know, like I've kind of tried to do it and I look at my kids and I was like, yeah, this is just weird. So like, Hey, I'll just listen to you guys sing. Like I miss, cause I love to sing. Like it's, it's one thing I love to do. I used to, I used to be a worship leader or something with our students. And so like, I love singing. But man, it was just weird singing to a computer. I was like, yeah. So it's, it's been nice to at least, we've been outside, but it's still been nice at least coming together. Yeah, 100% agree. Yeah, so um, a personal question. You worked at Summit Church uh, preparing church planners. That's how I met you. It was our one of our many trips to your sending workshop there at the Summit Church. Uh, I need to go back to one. It's been so long now. Uh, but you worked a long time preparing church planners to be sent out to build up launch teams to plan a church. So what's something you learned as a church planner that maybe, uh, maybe you realized, but you didn't realize how important it was until you actually planted center church. It's hmm. a good question, man. Um, 
I, I think I'll give you two. I think redefining what success looks like. So just real, I mean, honestly, it's hard coming out of a large church because even though you wouldn't say it theologically, it's easy to feel like big equals successful. But the truth is for most church planters, if you're going into a very unreached area, the vast majority of churches are not going to become the summit church or peace church, right? It's just, if you're intentionally planting a church like Charlottesville, I mean, Charlottesville, very progressive. So it's like, there's not a whole lot of people in my town that are like, yes, a new church. I like, can't wait to come, you know? So it just takes a long time. It just takes a lot of plowing and a lot of prayer and, and God moves and he, and he blesses the preaching of the gospel. I'm not saying churches can't grow and there's certainly examples of that, but I think if like you're going to be a church planner and you're going to go somewhere that's pretty, um, pretty lost, you just have to have an expectation that says like, Hey, I need to not define my success by how quickly we grow. It's like, we're the next hot thing. It's just so hard to feel that way, you know? Cause I know for me, it's like, if we have a down weekend or things aren't going as fast as I wanted to, I just, my natural inclination is like, what am I doing wrong? You know, like, am I not a good enough preacher? Like, have I not led well enough? Uh, you know, is it our band's fault? You know, it's all these, for whatever reason, we go to all these kind of surface level, like very su superficial things. And I think just like having more of the pot, here, here's how I'd say it. This is a little direct, but um, too often modern evangelicalism has a Silicon Valley view of church planning and the Bible has a farmer view of church planning. So here's what I mean. Silicon Valley stories that we've all heard are like, you know, come up with a great idea and you become Twitter and then a bajillion people follow you overnight. Right. And American evangelicalism, I think, has bought into that. And we've and we've looked at these like just these couple of very dynamic pastor preachers. Right. And we've said, oh, like if I could just be that guy. Right. Then my church will blow up. And it's like that's just not in the Bible. Like there's nowhere in the Bible. I mean, unless you want to talk about like Pentecost. So and, you know, I don't think Pentecost is happening again in your city. Um, you know, it's like, it, we just shouldn't expect there to be rapid thousands and thousands and thousands of people growth right away. What we can expect is like first Timothy, which says like, do the hard work of a farmer. Well, what does a farmer do? Well, farmer works really, really hard over a long period of time and progressively increases his crop. Right. So that I think is, I think that is a, is a better paradigm for church growth than what, many of us have imbibed and honestly i don't think anybody's doing it intentionally i'll just say for myself it's just hard not to right it's like who doesn't want to be the next like you know super kid right and who doesn't want to have thousands of people in their church but it's just not i just don't think it's very scriptural i just don't think it's a very realistic um and you know expectation so uh that would be the first thing that i would say and then the second thing i would say is much more personal and that's just that like man to be a good pastor, like you just, you just, ha God has to do a lot in you as much as he's going to do through you. And it's usually things like criticism that he does that with. And, you know, at the summit, I was, I was a pastor, but I, you know, I mean, nobody knew who I was. I wasn't the figurehead. So like, you know, when people would criticize the summit or criticize things that the church did or that JD said, it's like, you know, it just, I didn't feel it the same way. You know, I might feel defensive for my church, but all of a sudden, when like you're the pastor and you're the guy up there talking for 40 minutes every week, and and people criticize you or you know it's it's hard, it it, it hurts, and it's really easy to want to rip off you know an email or whatever, justify yourself. And I and I just think part of what God is teaching me is like, man, part of being a shepherd is being gentle and being humble and absorbing offenses and 
you know, Proverbs says it's the glory of a man to overlook an offense and a kind way turns away, a kind word turns away wrath. Mm-hmm. So I just think like learning that, like, man, being a, being a pastor is not about being a rock star who everybody loves, but it's about being a shepherd who sometimes gets bit by the sheep and, you know, going to Christ with that and, and being able to continue to love and care for people through it. So yeah. I'd say there's one kind of more churchy and one kind of more personal. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's great. Um, well, man, this podcast is, we call it the Life Change Podcast. So our mission statement here is we want to help everyday people experience life change through Christ-centered relationships. Yeah. And so this is all about, it's just a platform for us to celebrate life change within yeah. our church. And then, you know, through the missionaries and church planners that we support. So what's a life change story that you could share through Center Church, whether it's through, you know, someone that's in your D group or just someone who came to Christ, you know, yeah. as, as a result of when you were having public gatherings? Yeah. Yes, I'll tell you the story of of my friend Lee. So um, one of the families that moved with us, moved into a neighborhood, started building relationships, met this couple two doors down from them. And this couple was not interested. I mean, not interested at all, very standoffish. Lee was, you know, honestly, a little challenging to interact with. And they reached out, reached out, nothing really happened. Well, in the first year that we were here, Lee's family just went through the ringer. I mean, I, I don't want to get all into all of it, but their kids, you know, they, they basically, one of their children was diagnosed on, on, with special needs and had to change schools. Lee um, developed a disease that is, was previously only found um, in like a very small population of Asian women. And he developed it. He's not, he's a, he's not an Asian woman. And it put him in the hospital for almost an entire year. He almost died. I mean, it was, it was intense stuff. And, through it all, this family in our church just was loving them, really mostly through their kids, because these four kids, are just, they don't have anything to do, so they just bring them in, they have kids, and they kind of like second parents to them. Well, this is going on, you know, Lee kind of reaches the end of himself, and finally just texts my friend Forrest, who's in our church, and says, hey man, can you just come over here and tell me about your church? And Lee, done, you know, Lee wasn't a Christian, he kind of grew up vaguely in the Episcopal church, but it wasn't any sort of big part of his life. So Forrest comes over, he starts talking to him about it, and and Lee was just basically like, I, I don't have anywhere else to go, right? I mean, I'm at kind of rock bottom. So what Forrest was like, well, man, just start coming to stuff. Like, let's keep talking. And, and they started reading through the Bible together. Their family started coming on Sunday mornings and started coming to our, our MC. And the MC met two doors down from them. So that was easy. So they just walked down. The kids loved it. And after about three or four months of this, I mean, they started coming the end of the fall. And then in January, end of January, no, February. February, we did a series in Jonah. And I preached a sermon called God of Second Chances. And it's just about how like Jonah screwed up, screwed up everything, right? He was the worst. And he gets thrown up by a fish and God comes to him again and says, go to Nineveh. And then that time Jonah says, okay. And then Jonah gets to Nineveh and says, repent, believe. And they say, okay. So it's kind of this idea that like, man, we serve a God of second chances that is, is calling us to repent, believe. And um, after that, we had a meeting afterwards about baptism and said, hey, you know, if you've never been baptized or if you're a new believer, you, you know, this is your next step. And so Lee goes to this meeting. Well, it was a little bit uncomfortable because we're like, all right, Lee, we don't think you're a Christian. You know, like you've been coming to stuff. You know enough to be able to say some of the right things. But for, my friend Forrest was in the, in the meeting. He was one of our baptism counselors. And so they're just talking. And Forrest is just like, Lee, man, I just need to stop you. Like, have you ever like repented and, and given your life to Christ? Like, have you ever given up control and said, you're, you're the Lord? And he was like, no, I don't think I've done that. So right there, man, like in the baptism meeting, um, my buddy Forrest leads Lee to Christ, and uh, man, I got to baptize him the next week, and, and Lee is like, 
the opposite of our church. I mean, Lee's like, you know, probably his mid to late, he's in his late thirties, you know, comes from a very like, uh, well-to-do family. And here I am baptizing him in a horse trough, you know, like outside of some rented building, you know, and it's just such a powerful picture of the gospel. And what's amazing is, man, he's just been, he's just been totally transformed. I mean, he's eating up everything. He's studying the Bible every day. He's saying like, I, this is like coming to life for me. He's discipling his kids. So his two kids are like, something happened to dad, right? Like, and, and his kids are just at everything and, and they're loving our kids ministry and they're growing and they, and they watch every Sunday when we do our kids stuff. So man, Lee's just an awesome picture of somebody that was very much not a believer and it took a while, right? I mean, it took at least 12 months, maybe 16 months of just loving, reaching out, serving, praying until eventually he said, Hey, come and talk to me about this. And then it took even more time after that. And it took three or four more months. And then, man, finally, you know, God, God changed him and, so, man, Lee is just such an encouragement. But, man, that's what we want to see happen. That's mm-hmm. just that's what gets us excited is and people like Lee who've been changed. And now through him are, and his whole family has changed. So That's incredible. Anyway, that's, that's one story. Man, that's cool. So how can we, before we wrap up, like how can we as a church be praying for, for you and also just praying for Center Church in general? Yeah. Man, pray for me for rest. Um, I've just realized recently how much, you know, the last 16 weeks have worn me out emotionally, spiritually, physically. It's just hard, right? It's hard to lead through really uncertain times. And, you know, as a pastor, yeah. you're caring for people that are struggling. And so, you know, you bear a lot of weights, so just pray for rest. I, we're, my wife and I are going to try, we're going to try to take some intentional time off in July. We're going to go to the beach and just try to get away. So just pray that we would rest well. And then I think for our church, uh, for unity, just, I, I think that in the midst of everything going on in the world, um, it is so easy to become disunified. I think that's what Satan wants. So just praying for supernatural unity in our church that we'd assume the best about one another uh, and love and care for one another well. Yeah, for sure. We'll, we'll definitely be praying for those things. Well, before we get out of here, uh, one thing we like to do on here is we just have some rapid fire questions just to get to know you a little bit on a more personal level. Yeah, great. They're, they're lighthearted, uh, I think, you know, um, but first off is like this, like, Hey, what'd you eat for breakfast this morning? I had a Chobani yogurt, blueberry. Okay. Is that, is that a typical breakfast for you? Are you a light breakfast eater or? Yeah. I, so it's weird. Breakfast is my favorite meal of the day, yeah. but I don't often have a lot of time because I'm like trying to get stuff ready for the kids, you know? So it's sort of just like eat what's easy. And so Chibati yogurt, I think I had a bowl of like cinnamon life at like 10 o'clock. You know how it is. You're working. I'm working at home. We don't have church offices. So it's like kind of, you just sort of snack all day, which probably isn't very good for the scale. I, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. So the end of school year, you know, we went, we were homeschooling, you know, like everybody else was. And so I would stay home in the mornings, help with the kids, with the girls school. And, and then I come into work around lunchtime, yeah. but the same thing. I just didn't just kind of eat all morning. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, what book are you currently reading? Oh, I'm currently reading the book. Well, I'll give you two. Uh, fiction. I'm, I just finished a series called the Peter Whimsey Mysteries. So it was written by a woman named Dorothy Sayers, who's a great thinker, uh, believer in 20th century England. So they're just kind of fun, lighthearted reading. Mm-hmm. On the more theological side, I'm reading a book called United by Trulia Newbell, um, just talking about how the gospel speaks to um, unity amongst different races in the church. Um, and so that's been helpful so far. Yeah. Um, how do you relieve stress? Like you've had a hard day. What do you do to kind of, what's Gosh. your stress reliever? Oh man, I like to run. So running is big for me. Uh, it's going to sound so bad. 
I do. I like to read fiction. I mean, I'm kind of a nerd at heart. So like I've read the Lord of the Rings four times. Um, like I love that stuff. So I just like to like kind of lose myself in that. My wife and I have been watching this ridiculous show called Wicked Tuna Outer Banks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, which is just like this ridiculous reality TV show about tuna fishermen in the Outer Banks. So that, it's so like, you don't have to use your mind at all. Like you just, so that's kind of a funny, silly way. For sure. Well, it kind of leads me to my next question. What is your, I think you may have answered it, but what's your favorite fictional book or movie series? Yeah, so Lord of the Rings. Uh, so I'm a total nerd at heart. Um, love Lord of the Rings and of the books my favorite book is the middle book which is Two Towers Mm -hmm. Um, but I also like mystery books kind of in like the Sherlock Holmes vein Uh, so I'd say both of those but I do I love fiction I've I've realized I don't know if I'm just getting older but I've realized that reading is like truly one of my hobbies Mm -hmm. so love love to read and it's a good way to wind down that's cool Um, did you have a nickname growing up no if you did what was it didn't really have one. To be honest with you, this is kind of funny. I always sort of wanted one. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get, we need to give you one. What could it be? <laughs> well, you, you let me know, Brad. I'll yeah. consider you the cool kids at school. And you can give me <laughs> I, I'll ask my daughters. They, they come up with names for everything. Um, <laughs> would you rather give or receive presents? Hmm. If I'm honest, probably receive presents. Please, please be honest. Uh, I love getting presents. Um, I feel very cared for by presents. Uh, I feel like I'm starting to like giving more. My wife is a, she's like a total servant at heart. So she loves giving gifts. And I feel like over nine years, she sort of like inspired me with how fun it can be to give gifts. But I would say by natural disposition, I love getting gifts. Yeah. (laughs) I love giving gifts. Like I have a hard time waiting. It's like if it's a birthday coming up, like I have a really difficult time yeah. waiting until the birthday to give someone a present. I'm like, let's go ahead and open it up now. I'll That's get you right. something else for your birthday too. So That's right. I yeah. love to give you. Um, what do you wish you could tell yourself 10 years ago? Oh man, 10 years ago, 22 year old Josh. Um, talk less. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, I would probably say, talk, honestly, talk less. And also, I wish I would have prioritized the local church sooner in my life. So I did kind of the classic thing a lot of people do in college where, like, I was involved in some campus ministries but wasn't meaningfully involved in the local church. And I really regret that because I think I missed a lot. And now one of the things I'm most passionate about is helping people understand that the church is Christ's bride and one of God's greatest gifts to you. Um, And it's not it's not optional. Like, like you have been called to the church if you're a Christian. And so I wish I would have been more faith. I would have, I wish I would have been more faithfully involved in the church at 22. Hmm. I'm 32. So there you go. 10 years ago was 22. So, so the, a young fella. Young fella. Dude, I, I just turned 40 Sunday. So mm, I'm officially perfect. old now. Yo, you look good, Brad. You know? <laughs> I'm trying, man. All right. A uh, couple more questions and then we're done, man. So if you could sit down over coffee with anyone living or dead other than Jesus, who would it be and why? Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon, he, um, you, you may or may not know who that is. He was a great Baptist preacher in um, 18th century England. Mm-hmm. And what I love about Spurgeon, one is he was deeply theological, um, he, but he was passionately evangelistic. And I love how he brought both those things together. He just lived with this extraordinary amount of faith in what God yeah. could do, would do. And he managed to be a very prophetic voice in the midst of his generation. So for instance, he was, I mean, he was speaking against slavery 
way before people were speaking against slavery. And he actually called, I mean, his book sales in America went down significantly because of it. But he was just like, I see this in the scriptures and I'm going to speak against that. So, man, I would, I, I would love to be even a, you know, a fraction of the pastor that Spurgeon was just mm-hmm. loving theology and God's word, but also having a warm heart for evangelism. And then, yeah. you know, not being just shaped by the culture that I live in, but, but being able to speak to it with the truth of God's yeah. word. So. And wasn't it Spurgeon that said every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter? That's yeah. for, yeah. Um, all right. Last one is this one. Last one is this one. Who inspires you to be better? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on the topic. Honestly, my wife a lot. Uh, so when I think about caring for people, giving giving my life away, serving others, my wife is just, and she's so she's so much further down that road than I am. Um, I think in terms of pastors, there's a guy here in our town named Kyle Huber, and he planted, he has a very similar story to us. I mean, basically, he's like 10 years in front of us. So he planted here about 10 years ago, and um, I just really appreciate his humility, and I really appreciate his steadfastness that, you know, I mean, just over time, they've just faithfully shepherded and, and, and you know, been a faithful presence here and have a really healthy church in the community. So when I just think about, like, somebody who has a long-term kind of farmers-type ministry, it's a guy like Kyle. So he inspires me um, pastorally. And then real honestly, our other pastor, Justin, mm-hmm. is just, man, he is just, he is such a gifted evangelist. And he's led so many people to Christ. He's passionate about discipleship. He's extremely patient with young believers. Um, and so he inspires me to be more evangelistically just fervent and committed to discipleship. So those are three, those are three people. Man, that's awesome. Josh. And you, uh, and you, Brad. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. <laughs> Particularly with your beard, with your beard growing yeah. ability, you inspire that's me. Right. To, that, that, and I'm getting a lot of grays in it with it. It's all right, um, man. It's getting old, old, man. Well, dude, thank you so much for joining us today. It was great having you. And, um, and we'll be praying for Center Church as you guys move forward. Uh, definitely praying for y'all to, to maintain unity during this time. Um, and then wisdom moving forward as you, you come back and, and you, yeah. you re-engage with your people. Um, and also just the fatigue that's going on. So praying for you and your family, man. Thanks a lot for joining us today. Brad, thanks, Ben. Awesome. Peace, church. Thank you. We will see you all in two weeks. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Peace Church Life Change Podcast. We hope that you were challenged and encouraged today as you listened. Until next time, Peace Church, you are sent. Let's go make disciples.